Oh, good evening. Am I on? Okay. As you know, pastor and the church staff are away this week, so I've been asked to uh, preach the word of God tonight. And uh, two weeks ago, pastor texted me, asked me to to uh, preach, and I just finished reading Proverbs chapter three. So uh, I'll just give the title of of this evening's message is Pride versus Humility. And we'll start with Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. So here... Scorning means to deride at something or mock at it. And if we turn to the epistle of James, this is quoted in the New Testament. First in the epistle of James. Epistle of James, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Here we see that the Holy Spirit has changed the word scorners into, into the proud. James chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we see here that the, the word scorner is changed into the proud. So what exactly is pride? In the New Testament, in James and also in 1 Peter, where it's a similar quote, pride means to inflate with self-conceit, to be high-minded. So uh, in the Old Testament, the most common word for pride means excellency, haughtiness, highness or swelling. And we see this pride originally in the sin of the devil, he wanted to exalt himself above God. He wanted to be as God. He made these famous, famous I will statements, uh, culminating in I will be as the Most High. Make no mistake, Satan wants to dethrone God. If he could, he would kill him. He thought he had the victory in uh, the death of the Lord Jesus, but that was actually God having the victory over Satan. Unfortunately, man has decided to side with the devil ever since the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve believed the devil's lies and disobeyed God and ate of the forbidden fruit. The lie of the devil was, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Ever since then, mankind wanted to be as gods. And unfortunately, it's brought a huge amount of misery and suffering into the world believing the devil's lies. In fact, in the book of Job, chapter 41, verse 34, you needn't turn there, God speaking of Leviathan, which is uh, a sea monster, like a dinosaur, speaking of Satan, he is called a king over all the children of pride. So we see mankind has a problem with pride in being unable to submit to God and resist the devil. 
we have a problem with sin. So I'll just go through some of the consequences of pride. I'll read these scriptures out. You needn't turn to them. The first one is uh, Proverbs 16, verse 18. This is a scripture that most people would know if they had any Christian background. They'd be able to quote it for you if they went to Sunday school or brought up in a church. Pride goes before destruction and in haughty spirit before a fall. This is what happened to Satan. He thought he was be exalted above God, but it meant that he was going to be cast down to hell. And his ultimate destination is the lake of fire. And everybody who sides with Satan will end up there as well. Pride is a sin in God's eyes. In Proverbs 21.4, And high look and a proud heart, and the ploughing of the wicked is sin. So pride is sin. It is also an abomination in God's eyes. There are six things that the Lord doth hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. The first on the list is a proud look, a proud look that comes from a proud, arrogant heart. Pride also leads to contention. In Proverbs 13.10 it says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with a well-advised is wisdom. If you've got strife and contention in your life with somebody, probably somebody's got pride in their hearts. It also says in James, verse 6, that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. So if you're proud, you'll find that God is resisting you. And more than that, you forfeit his grace. It also says in James chapter 4, verse 7, that you'll be unable to submit to God and resist the devil. Because God says in uh, James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So unless you're humbling yourself, you won't be able to submit to God, you won't be able to resist the devil. Pride is also called worldly. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, The pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The full scripture is, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. Showing pride in anything that you have is worldly and is not of the Father. Also in Revelation chapter 3 verse 17, the spiritual pride of Laodicea, they thought they were rich in goods, and everything they could possibly want. But in God's eyes, they were wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. It's hard to think that this was a a Christian church full of wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked people before God. So we see the consequences of pride. All these things come upon people because of their pride in, uh, in associating with the devil in uh, his rebellion against God. So what are we to do with pride when you find it in our heart? In 1 Peter chapter 5, if you'd like to turn to there, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. This is another quotation 
of the first scripture that we had from Proverbs chapter 3. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 and 6. In the last part of verse 5 it says, Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. The surest way to be exalted in the kingdom of God is to humble yourself. Don't wait for God to humble you. And don't ask God to humble you. I remember some years ago in the Bible Institute lecture, uh, a student was asked to pray after, after the lecture. And he prayed that God would humble him and us. And the lecturer, I remember it was Robin Davis, who said that was a dangerous prayer, brother. God might actually take you at your word and humble you. And it mightn't be a very pleasant experience. A good illustration of God humbling a man is Nebuchadnezzar. He looked upon his mighty city of Babylon and said, Is this not mighty Babylon that I have built for my glory? And as soon as he said it, God judged him. He was driven out from his kingdom, from his throne, from his court. He lost his reason. And for seven years he was in the fields, living like a beast, eating the grass like an ox. His hair grew like eagle's feathers. His nails grew like eagle's claws. So we shouldn't wait for God to humble us. We should humble ourselves. Pastor mentioned this on Sunday night. He quoted from Mark chapter 9 and from Matthew chapter 18. The quote was, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be great in the church, in the kingdom of heaven, humble yourself and be the servant of all. This little child would be no more than a toddler, a very little child. Unless we are trusting and obedient as a little toddler before they learn to be disobedient and difficult, then we are never going to be able to uh, humble ourselves and be great in the kingdom of God. In the church we are told not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. It says that in Romans 12, verse 3. And in the next verse it says, We have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So we're interdependent, and nobody should be vaunting themselves over another saying, I'm better than somebody else. We shouldn't be comparing ourselves amongst ourselves, saying, I'm better than that one, but probably not as good as these guys over here. We shouldn't compare ourselves against each other. We should consider others better than ourselves. Keith Piper, in his book, Answers, says, we are called to be humble. And this means 
Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. This takes your mind off self. This then gives us mental stability and strength. An illustration of, of a man who considered others more than himself was William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army. He did much good around the world. He considered others. He was active in good works. And at, on his deathbed, he sent a message, a telegram to the International Conference of the Salvation Army, and it simply said, others. He was one man who considered others better than himself, more than himself. So we see here that we are to humble ourselves and not God. We shouldn't be humbled like Nebuchadnezzar was. But God himself may help us to keep us humble once we humble ourselves. He may give us a gift as he did the Apostle Paul. We consider Paul to be one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. But even he needed this gift to keep him humble. A thorn in the flesh. A physical ailment. So we see that in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. If Paul the Apostle needed humbling and this gift to keep him humble, then I think we should also accept that sometimes God will give us a thorn in the flesh. A thorn means that it's probably painful and it's something that Paul wanted out of his life. He besought the Lord three times to take it from him. But this thorn kept him humble and dependent on God and his grace. The Lord merely said to him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So as we read in James chapter 4, verse 6, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We're not going to get this grace unless we are humble. I remember a pastor saying about his mother, Trish Lloyd, that she thanked God for her cancer. So often God's saints grow spiritually under extremely difficult and trying circumstances. And we should accept some of these things and not try to complain about them or be bitter about it. We should accept sometimes the things that God allows us in our lives. So I've seen the consequences of pride and that we are to humble ourselves to be free of it and to submit to God. But there is a false humility which the Bible speaks about. There is a false humility bowing down and humbling yourself before an idol. And this has been a plague of man ever since the Garden of Eden that we have our idols. Paul speaks of this false humility in Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. 
the Colossians were new Christians. They were new converts to the faith. And all of a sudden they were giving heed to false teachers, to the Judaizers on the one hand and pagan philosophers on the other. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 to 19, Paul is saying, don't give in to the Judaizers following legalism. Don't give in to the pagan philosophers giving in to worshipping of angels. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is Christ. Colossians chapter 2 verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your, your reward in a voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. So here God is speaking of a voluntary humility which is a false humility. They're humbling themselves before angels. Now these are not good angels. Good angels do not accept worship. They were worshipping evil angels. So we see... Because this is in the Bible, this is a problem that will confront Christians all down the ages, not just the Colossians Christians. We'll face legalism on one hand and pagan philosophies on the other. In this age, we have the legalists. We see that in the Catholic Church as a good example. They follow their own traditions, which they exalt above the word of God. They have the doctrines of the Pope. And on the other hand, we have, in this age, the New Age. They believe in the worshipping of many gods. They're pantheists. They worship angels. And I think we shouldn't say this is not going to be a problem in the church. We shouldn't say to ourselves we wouldn't get involved in things like this. But I remember... A man came to this church for a few years and he went up into the world. And as far as I know, he's involved in mysticism. And others, they go to false churches. They get involved in legalism. They can get involved in the the occult. And you might say, well, I'm not involved in any of that legalism or, or the new age or the occult but in God's eyes covetousness is idolatry in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 it says covetousness which is idolatry it mentions covetousness is something that we need to mortify in Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth fornication, uncleanness inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 24, the Lord Jesus says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is an Aramaic word which means money or possessions. 
So just because you don't worship an idol doesn't mean that you are not an idolater if you are covetous. I think it's a sin we could easily fall into. Somebody drives into the car park at the church, a nice new car. It's difficult not to say, I wish I had something like that or even better. If somebody was to drive in with a red Ferrari, I think it would set everybody in a spin. How could he afford that? So um, we're all covetous. We, we want the latest iPhone, the latest Android phone. Somebody comes in with something, we get a bit covetous. We want something as good or better. So how are, we, how are we to deal with this covetousness, this, uh, this idolatry, this false humility? We are to hold to the head of, of the church. Paul writing in Colossians 2 verse 19. We should be puffed up in our fleshly minds. He says in the previous verse, and we, sh- we should, and not holding the head from wh- which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with an increase of God. So we should hold to the head of the church, even Christ. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, it says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Money and possessions are the things of this earth. The love of the things of this earth is worldly, it's not godly. It doesn't mean that we don't need money, we don't need possessions, but we shouldn't set our affections on them. We shouldn't idolise them, we shouldn't be covetous. As we said before, in Colossians 3, verse 5, we should mortify these things. We should mortify this covetousness, which is idolatry. So all the false religions of the world are actually worshipping Satan and his evil angels. As I said before, Satan is a king over all the children of pride. And we must realise that God will ultimately judge the pride of mankind. He will do that in the great tribulation and at the great white throne judgment. So either we humble ourselves now and submit to God and his word in this life or while there is hope or we face his wrath in the next. So in conclusion... I'd like to say that we have seen that pride was the sin of the devil and that man has sided with him in rebellion against God and that there were consequences for pride. We can either humble ourselves before him, which is best, or you might be humbled by God, as was Nebuchadnezzar. And if you humble yourself, God will help you. He may give you, as he did Paul, 
a precious gift, a thorn in the flesh to keep you humble. We must also remember that false humility, following legalism, the doctrines of men or mysticism, the worship of angels, will will ultimately lead to God's judgment on us. But there is great reward coming from humbling ourselves before God. As we have read in James chapter 4, verse 6, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Who wouldn't like to be the recipient of God's grace? Keith Piper, in his book Answers, says... If you want peace in yourself and with God and man, be humble. If you want to be a good father to children, be humble. If you want to be great, be humble. If you want people to follow you, be humble. If you want people to like you, be humble. If you want God to uplift you, be humble. If you want your wife to love you, be humble and seek to provide her needs. The way up is down. The way to be exalted is to humble yourself. And the good thing is that God will answer your prayers only if you're humble. Because God resists the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. I'd just like to conclude in a word of prayer. Help us, Heavenly Father, to uh, humble ourselves before you and to know you not resisting us but giving us your grace. Help me, Lord, to humble myself and to receive your grace and your mercy because we know, Lord, that your mercy and your loving kindness is better than life. Help us, Lord, to receive your grace and to grow in grace and to grow in your favour and to have peace amongst ourselves, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.